City Church in Over the Rhine is cultivating the kind of family Jesus introduced to the world in the city of Cincinnati. We're glad you're choosing to listen to a sermon from our weekly service. We would love to meet you. Visit us on Instagram or at citychurchotr.com. Enjoy. Good morning. Um, goodness, what a, what a fun thing to get up to teach about a chapter where the first verse is, not many of you should teach because teachers will be judged more harshly. Um, so Chris, did you want to teach today instead? No? No? Okay. Um, I'll, I'll, t- I'll take it today. Um, it is an interesting start to this book, but what we're going to focus on a lot today is around how we use our words. And so it makes sense that a teacher who is using a lot of words um, has a big responsibility um, to use them wisely and to use them well. And so um, on that note, I would love to um, pray before I get started. Father, I acknowledge the gift and responsibility it is to teach um, and to teach your people and to teach your word. Um, And so I pray that your spirit would be the one speaking, that it wouldn't be my words, um, but that your spirit would be alive and active today. Um, Would anything that's not your words um, fall away and clear away? Um, And would you accomplish um, in us today and through this time what it is you want to accomplish? I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If we haven't gotten to meet, my name is Michelle, and I have been part of City Church for almost three years. So I started coming here right after City Church started and have been on full-time staff here since October. And by official title, I'm the Director of Operations, um, but I have a few other titles I've, I've the more un- informally picked up along the way. Um, so one is the Director of Stewardship, it's an alternate title. Um, we also have the Chief Problem Solver. Um, I'm the government agency liaison. I get to do a lot of tax documents, things like that. It's a lot of fun. Um, sometimes I'm the custodian of the building. Um, my, one of my favorites, I'm the IT department here. Um, and on occasion, I'm also Chris's assistant. Just kidding, just kidding. That's actually Rob's job. Um, but truly, I do wear a lot of hats here, and I love it. I, I honestly cannot think of a job that I would rather be doing than this job. Um, And I am grateful to be in Cincinnati. I love being part of this community. Um, I actually grew up in Orlando, Florida. And um, Orlando, as I was growing up, there were really no, like, sports teams to really even get behind. And it was fine because my family, we weren't really sports people, um, except for one sport that we loved, soccer. Um, And so I grew up with an appreciation for soccer. And I now, like, I love being in Cincinnati. I love that we have FC Cincinnati, and I get to enjoy a lot of soccer. So Megan, who spoke last week, her and I have season tickets together, so we get to watch a lot of matches, and we're there at the stadium a lot, and if you've been to, like, a live sporting event, you know that live sports is, like, goldmine for people watching. You see all kinds of people, all kinds of different fans inside of a stadium, and so um, some of the people we've seen, some of the fans we've experienced um, at SC Cincinnati matches, there's the uh, fan who screams at the ref, no matter how things are going, like, they can never do anything right. So there's the fan who just berates the ref the whole time. Um, There are the people who are really there for the snacks. So they're like up and down from their seat a lot, like going to get beverage refills. That's really why they're there. Uh, We actually have seen, there's a couple people we've experienced um, who maybe just aren't really big soccer fans because we watched them cross-stitch at the FC match. Um, We also have someone who sits near us who does crossword puzzles during the match. Uh, And then, um, you know, me and Megan, our style is a little bit more, like, we're pretty calm people. Like, we cheer, we definitely get excited, and we're sad if we're not doing well, but we tend to be, like, pretty kind fans. 
Um, but there's one other kind of fan that we see, and this is probably true of Cincinnati sports in general, but this is the fan who boos anything they don't like. And if you've been to an FC match, you've for sure experienced this, because it absolutely happens all the time. But there was one time a few weeks ago, I was at a match, and there was an altercation, and people were really upset because the opposing player hadn't gotten in as much trouble as the fans deemed necessary. And so everyone started to boo this guy, this, this player. And it wasn't just enough to like boo him one time. No, no, no. Throughout the entire rest of the match, any time this player touched the ball, the, the crowd booed. So it was like, I left, I actually, this was one of the few games that I left a few minutes early, and I knew when that player was involved in the play, because I could hear the booing coming from inside the stadium. So at an FC match, you know, Megan and I, we really get an experience, um, a little bit, a little taste of what James talks about when he says that um, he will show his deeds by his, or his faith by his deeds. We see um, on, on a Saturday night in TQL Stadium, we see the evidence that what people believe about soccer and FC Cincinnati and the refs on the field, that shapes their actions, and we see it on display. And so similarly, there's a call for us to communicate what's true of our faith um, through the way that we're living our lives. And James is saying throughout his letter that true, genuine, saving faith in Jesus is a life-changing faith. That if our faith is genuine, it's going to transform us to where we don't just say we believe in Jesus, but our actions are going to reflect it. So two weeks ago, Rob shared about how our faith shapes how we suffer, how we walk through suffering. And then last week, Megan talked about how faith changes how we treat the people around us. Um, so today, we're going to focus in on how faith changes the way we speak and use our words. So you heard uh, James chapter 3 as Rob read it, and this section of James chapter 3 is often referred to as the taming of the tongue. Um, and verse 2 tells us that we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So if we can control our speech completely, if we can do what James says here and tame the tongue, we'd also be able to control everything else in us. So there's a sense of importance here about our tongue and what our words are reflecting. And in verses three through five, James um, makes three different comparisons about the power and influence of the tongue. So he talks about a bit in the mouth of a horse and the way that can guide the whole animal. He talks about the rudder of a ship and how that steers, and the small part of a ship steers the entire ship, and then how a small, tiny spark can set off a great fire. And so in all of these cases, he's drawing this comparison of how the tongue, such a small piece of our body, has such an enormous impact on our lives. And it's the smallest instrument, it's a grossly disproportionate impact that our tongue and our words have on our lives. And so James is telling us that even the small things, the small acts, the small words can have a great impact. So what is it about our words and our speech that makes it so impactful? Why is it that James emphasizes, of all the things he could talk about in this letter, why does he choose to give space to talking about the need to control our tongue and our words? Words hold power. We see it through scripture, we see the power of words from the very beginning of creation all throughout scripture. So starting in Genesis 1 and 2, God speaks the world into existence. His words actually create universes. That's serious power. God sustains us with his words. Moses, when he's talking to um, the Israelites, he says this. He says, and he humbled you, speaking of God, he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And we know um, from Hebrews that God's word is alive, 
For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So God's word carries enormous power, and as people who are created in the image of God, it stands to reason that we also carry a weight and a power in our words. And Proverbs affirms this um, throughout. There's lots and lots of examples, just a few of them. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So what we say and what we speak, those words matter. And it's not even just the words we speak out loud, but the words that go through our minds, our thoughts, they matter too. And so we're gonna look at two particular ways that words really show incredible power and impact in our lives. The first is that our words expose us. Um, so I, throughout my life, off and on battle with like skin issues and flare-ups, dry skin, things like that. And normally it's not a huge deal, it goes away over time, not a huge deal. But a few years ago, I had a breakout that started on my hand. Started out really small, and I was using everything like oils, lotions, creams, things, trying to get it to heal, um, and it didn't. It continued to get worse, it continued to spread further over my hand, it was honestly pretty painful, like it was a bad, really bad situation. But nothing I was trying was working because what was happening on my skin was just exposing a deeper issue. What was happening on my skin was just a symptom of an internal issue. And so it wasn't until I changed, honestly changed my eating habits, changed the food that I was giving my body, that's when my body started to heal and when my skin started to heal. And it took months, but it, was, it wasn't just that I needed to, to band-aid the symptom that I was seeing. My skin was telling me there was a deeper issue. And so I think James is giving us the same indication. There's a deeper issue that our tongue is telling us is, needs to be addressed. So Jesus, speaking in Luke 6, says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks." For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's on our tongue is a symptom of an internal condition. And our words are exposing what's going on inside. So they're exposing what's inside. The fruit of the tongue and the health of our hearts are deeply intertwined. So when we talk about our heart, last, uh, last year, during the second half of the year, we went through a long series called Wholehearted, focused on the, the idea of what would it look like for us to be wholeheartedly following after Jesus. And it was one of the, the key verses that we talked about with that was in the Old Testament, um, the prayer that the Israelites would pray, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And throughout that series, what Chris talked about with the heart is that it's not just heart how we think of the heart today, of like, it's just our emotions, it's just our feelings. For the Israelites, in their context, the heart was the, the broader um, human experience. The heart was the center of human activity. So it wasn't just feelings. It was thoughts, beliefs, feelings, emotions, desires. It was all of that encapsulated in the heart. And so this broader context and understanding of the heart is what Jesus is talking, um, that's the context he's in when he's saying that out of the overflow of our heart, out of the overflow of our being and our, our internal health is what our mouth is speaking. So if what lives in us is rotten, what's going to come out is going to be rotten too. But what if what lives in us is good, what comes out will be good. Yeah. 
So our words expose us. And I want to take a pause a couple times this morning um, for you to just reflect and take an accurate assessment. Um, there's cards, I would encourage you to write it down and put words to it, whether that's in your phone or there's cards in the pew, you can use those. Um, but I want you to just take a moment and ask yourself, what do the words you've spoken or thought in the last 24 hours reflect about what is true, what is in your heart, and what you believe to be true? So thinking about the last 24 hours, what have your words reflected about what's inside of you? I'm just going to pause for a minute and give you a second to reflect. So our words expose what's in us, but they don't just do that. Our words also form us, and they can form those around us. Words don't just reflect. It's this incredible mystery of how it works. It can work both ways. Of Our words don't just reflect what's already in us, but they also help form our hearts and minds as well. It's, it's, it doesn't make sense, but it works both ways. That's how important words are, um, that the words we, we speak have power to form us and others. So looking back at one of the verses from Proverbs says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. So the things we tell ourselves, whether they're lies or encouragement, they are shaping us and our beliefs, especially when they're repeated over and over like a tape playing on repeat. And this isn't just an anecdotal thought. There's actually neuroscience that backs us up. Backs us up. And so I'm going to geek out for just a little minute on some science. So come along for the ride. Um, in our brains... So there is actually something physiologically that happens in our brains with our thoughts and with repeated thoughts and repeated words. So all of our actions and all of our beliefs form neural pathways in our brains. So point A to point B, they're forming these pathways. So let's take a thought. If I'm thinking one thing, the more I have that same thought, the stronger that connection gets. It's the way the brain is designed to actually help us save energy because if we do something over and over, it's better for our brain if there's a strong connection that fires quickly and it's, it's fast and it saves energy. So as we think a thought, a particular thought, certain words over and over and over, it builds this connection stronger and stronger and stronger to where what might even be seemingly harmless words become deeply ingrained beliefs in our brains, physiologically ingrained beliefs in our brains. And then our beliefs drive us to actions. What we do is a reflection of what we believe. And I will tell you this, too, about the brain. So the brain is very smart, and it makes all these connections to save energy. And so when we have to then change one of those beliefs, when we have to change what it is we are thinking, it actually takes a lot of energy and a lot of work um, because the brain has so ingrained this thought. And so it, it's, our words are so important. We have to be careful about what it is we're creating with our words because as we repeat those things over and over, it ingrains itself in our brain and it becomes actually harder to break those things down. And I have really experienced this firsthand, specifically over um, the last year, in one particular way. So about a year ago, I started spending time with a group of friends who 
are some of those like crazy people who like, like to work out a lot and they like to be really active. I know, it's weird. Um, and so I ended up spending a lot of my time doing those things, uh, which is like not historically my scene, but I was like, it's good for me. I know it's healthy to be more active and in honesty, just want to spend time with my friends. And so I started leaning in and doing more and more of that. And again, not really historically like my scene or what I would choose to spend my time doing in the past. Um, but as I spent time with these friends, um, what was incredible was that these friends speak really encouraging words. And they spoke words of life to me, and they built into me, and they encouraged me um, to push harder and to do more, that I could do more. And what I've recognized, well, then I, so they're, they're saying encouraging things to me, and because I understand some of this, because of the neuroscience, obviously, I knew it was like, this is important for me to say too. The thoughts, my thoughts are important. And so I started saying some of those things to myself. And what I've watched happen over the last year is the way my mindset has shifted um, to believe that I'm capable of more, to believe that I'm strong and I'm capable and I can do things that I would never have thought that I could do. Um, and so I've accomplished a lot more like physical milestones of, with running and workouts and things like that that I really wouldn't have thought possible. And it's all because the words matter and they started to plant seeds in my mind um, of what, I, what could be true. And those beliefs over time have then changed my words and my actions to where I do more and I lean in more. So there's a cycle at play where our words influence our beliefs. And then those beliefs, they become ingrained, they influence our actions. And the things we do then reinforce what it is we say we believe and the words that come out of our mouths. So there's this cycle that's happening. Our words matter so much. They are, are forming us. And so that's one example of the way that that has worked in my benefit. But there's also a dark side to this too. Because the lies we speak to ourselves, they also get ingrained. I'm not enough. God couldn't love me. I have to earn God's favor. I can't trust anyone. I'll never measure up. And the more we speak those lies and things like those lies to ourselves, the more they become ingrained too. Um, the words that we speak matter. Because you will start to believe for better or for worse the things that you continually speak over yourself. And you'll start to believe, for better or for worse, the things that are frequently and consistently spoken to you. And your words, your words ha hold that same power for other people around you. So we're going to take another moment to pause. And I want you to ask yourself, what's something that needs to change in how you use your words? What's something you need to start saying to foster life with your tongue? Or what's something you might need to stop saying that's not true or not life-giving? Take a moment and reflect with the Lord. We're going to go ahead and skip ahead a few verses um, in James chapter 3 to verse 9. This is what James says. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. 
Like Megan talked about last week, we're all made in the image of God. And yet James here is writing to a people who, like us, are praising God one moment and in the next are cursing people who are created to bear God's image. So we, it's easy for us to stand here and we sing worship to God and then we yell at the person who cuts us off in traffic on the way home. Or we can stand here and we can praise God for his great love but then we gossip about the person we saw at the grocery store yesterday. We praise God for his faithfulness and then we complain about the coworker who drives us crazy. We praise God for his mercy and grace to us and then we rail against the friend with different political views than us. Brothers and sisters, this should not be. Ephesians 4 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. We are called as followers of Jesus to use our words to build up, not tear down. We're called to use our voices to give grace to those who hear it. Because our words carry weight to bless and to curse, to either bring hurt or to bring healing. And I will say I have learned this lesson the hard way. Um, I, uh, growing up, I grew up in the church, and I've known Jesus a really long time, so I would say I've been following Jesus for a long time. And probably around the time I was in, like, middle school, high school, I was Im clearly immature, because most middle school, high schoolers are. Um, but even just in the immaturity of my faith, I saw things very black and white. I had a very clear picture in my mind of, like, what was right, what was wrong, um, what was moral, what wasn't. And not on, like, big theological things. This is on, like, pettier things of, like, did you show up at church on Sunday? Which is important, but, like, also not a, like, indication of someone's salvation. And I was a little more harsh and a little more black and white about that, things like that. So I was very quick to accuse or criticize when I saw people doing things that I didn't think were right. Um, and I did this to friends of mine. Um, and so I went to a really small church. There weren't a ton of people my age, so we had a pretty small group of, um, of people my age. And one day, um, I uh, got some feedback on something that was happening and, and found out that the couple of friends who were my age, the girls who were my age, didn't really enjoy being around me, were hesitant to be around me because of the critical spirit that I had and the way that I was critical and criticizing them for things that were happening. I was not careful with my words. I damaged friendships because I wasn't using my mouth to give grace to those who hear. So I had to really learn the hard way. And not only did my words hurt others and hurt those relationships, but that experience, as I've looked back and reflected, that experience shaped beliefs that I had and things that I've told myself about the kind of friend I am. And so it didn't just damage that moment and those friendships, but it's carried damage through my life that I've had to undo and, and ask the Lord and work with the Lord to undo. A life transformed by faith in Jesus cannot continue to curse and to praise from the same mouth or the same heart. Ephesians 5 tells us, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. If we want to change bad habits, if we want to change the thoughts running through our minds, typically the best place to change a habit or the best way to change a habit is to replace the bad habit with a good habit. So how do we replace those bad thoughts or those negative thoughts or those um, thoughts of discouragement with something that's life-giving and true? We, we don't just will ourselves to stop cursing. We need to replace it with something. So what are we going to replace it with? We replace it with thanksgiving, replacing it with praise. We replace it with worship. 
because we cannot curse ourselves or others with a tongue that is too busy and consumed with praising God. It's just not possible. Our words are so important. How we use our tongue matters. Because James tells us if we can tame that, if we can bring our tongue under control, we can bring our whole bodies under control. So how do we actually do that? So going back to verse 6, um, so James just got done telling his readers about these three examples of how powerful the tongue is, and then this is where he goes next with it. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. That is pretty bad news for us. No human being can tame the tongue. We tame a lot of things, but this one's too much, and we are hopeless to do this on our own. We, it's just not going to work. And it's not just our tongue that needs to be tamed and controlled. It's deeper than that. As Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. We are desperately sick. And Jesus has pointed out that our tongue and our heart are just deeply intertwined. And so we know that it's not just our tongue that needs work, it's our heart as well. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah um, has a vision, and he comes face to face with this reality. So he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts." Isaiah names his brokenness here as being a man of unclean lips. His tongue, his words, they're showing the truth of who he is. He's lost and he's ruined, but it's not just because of his unclean lips, it's because those are a window to the uncleanness of his heart. He is ruined. And Isaiah's been doing everything he can to use his mouth correctly, so we know it's not just about that. He's been speaking messages from the Lord to Judah. He's been delivering God's word, and yet he knows when he's in God's presence, when he experiences the Lord, that he is ruined. He knows that he can't save himself and that his words aren't enough. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. So Isaiah is saved because of the Lord of hosts, not because anything he could do. He encountered the Lord, knew he was ruined and guilty on his own merit. But remember what James told us in verse 1, that it's a perfect man that can keep his tongue and his whole body in check. And if only a perfect person can keep full control of their tongue, and if our tongue and our heart are so deeply intertwined like Jesus has said, then that must mean we can't change our hearts either because I didn't, I, I'm not perfect. I'm going to guess you're probably not perfect. And in this lifetime, we won't be. We cannot master our tongue because there's only one perfect man who can. You want to talk about words with power. 
John says the very word himself became flesh. That the most powerful word, the living word Jesus took on flesh to make our redemption, to make our transformation possible. It's out of an overflow of faith in that one perfect man that the transformation, that a healing of our heart is actually possible through his spirit. Faith alone in the death and resurrection of Jesus on our behalf is the only thing that makes it possible. So in your Bible, if you look at the title of the section, it says like taming the tongue is always the title that's there. And I think that does us a real disservice because we're not just in need of taming the tongue. We don't need to just slap a band-aid on a symptom of a deeper issue. What we need is healing, and we need a healing that starts from our heart and works its way out of the overflow through our mouths. There's nothing else that can truly heal us and bring us under control the way that Jesus can. This is how genuine faith heals the tongue. It's when we're filled with the Spirit, when we're soaking in his word and his truth, that we begin, and we begin to grasp that we are saved by faith alone, nothing we can do, not our works, not our words, then we're transformed. And when we experience the overwhelming love of God, our faith will bubble up in praise. Our words will expose what we believe about Jesus, and they'll continue to form us as we speak praise more and more. Sinclair Ferguson said, the most important single aid to my ability to use my tongue for the glory of Jesus is allowing the word of God to dwell in me so richly that I cannot speak with any other accent. We've got to be so drenched in the word of God and in his words and in the truth of his goodness to us that we can't speak with any other accent. A couple months ago when our staff team um, started working through what book we were going to teach in the month of July, um, I will admit I was particularly drawn to James and Honestly, that was because it seemed like it would be easier. Because I was like, James, you know, it's a practical, practical guidebook, like easy to draw some like meaning and application. Like this should, this should be better. Some of the other epistles in the New Testament have some like challenging theological stuff. I was like, this feels, this feels easy. Um, it feels like such a practical guidebook. And as I've already said, I, I love things that are black and white. Um, and so I felt that James was a little bit more of that. So super excited to teach about James. Um, but in studying for today, something about this book has hit me so freshly. Um, James can easily be seen as just this letter that's giving us checkboxes of things to do. Be joyful, be quick to listen, slow to speak, treat people equally, speak kindly to people, don't grumble, pray for healing. Lots of things that we can see as a checklist and checkboxes. But if that's our takeaway, if checking boxes of actions just to prove ourselves, if that's our takeaway, we're missing the whole point of this book. Because James isn't giving us a to-do list. He's giving us guideposts to help us know if our faith is truly set on Jesus alone. He's reminding us that we have to be so overwhelmed and soaked in the grace and goodness of God that what comes out of us changes. Because genuine faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus on our behalf, redemption for us that we could never earn, only received by grace, that is the life-changing faith that will transform us from the inside out. Man, do I want my life to, with Jesus to be a checklist sometimes. Gosh, it seems like it would be so much easier. Jesus, just tell me what you want me to do. Like, I'll just do my best and I'll check it off the list. But what I've been reminded of is that he loves me too much and he cares too much about the health of my heart to just give me a checklist. He wants to heal what's actually broken in me 
and he wants that to then flow out of me as proof of the beautiful work he's done. Our relationship with Jesus is not a checklist. Once Isaiah is made clean and his sin atoned for, again, not by anything he can do, only receiving the healing from the Lord, here's what happens next. And I heard the, verse, the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. Isaiah's response is ready obedience to do whatever the Lord has called him to do. Because of his healing, out of his healing, he is ready to obey and ready to follow what the Lord calls him to. The fitting response to our redemption is action. And it's our action and our words that'll prove what God has done for us and it will prove what faith we have. So we're gonna respond now in worship and I pray that you will let the words that come out of you reflect the truth of who God is, of what he's done for you of what he's offered you, and let's let these words shape what we think and refine what we think and believe about who God is and what he's done for us. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Sunday service. If we can serve you in any way, please visit our website at citychurchotr.com. If you want to be a part of what God is doing in Cincinnati, you can support us financially. Giving can also be done on our website at citychurchotr.com give.